Welcome back to Biteside. I'm Seamus Byrne. This is a show about tech and games and digital culture. And this week, it's a uh, one-on-one session between myself and Chris Button, one of our regular writers for the site. Chris, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Happy to talk about lots of games today and other bits and pieces. So, yeah, pretty keen. Yeah, look, that's it. We're going to kick things off with a whole bunch of sort of gamey stuff. It'll probably blend into a bit of talking about what's going to be big this year. And then we are going to talk a bit about uh, a lot of Microsoft's announcements overnight uh, from the time we were recording this, uh, all sorts of AR and XR and all sorts of just cool, exciting future tech. So, They're the main couple of things we're going to talk about today, but kicking things off, last week there were a lot of announcements from a couple of the major console companies. Um, It definitely feeds into this whole hype cycle of what's coming in 2021. Uh, We've also just learned that there will be no live E3 2021, but that feels like the kind of news that I think if they had gone ahead, you'd be going, really? Really, E3? Really? Yeah. Um, I just saw Comic-Con as well as, you know, officially said, yeah, we're not, we're not touching it this year either. And you're like, just good. It's like, it's horrible. It's been a whole year, but that's good. But it does mean these kind of virtual events held by the likes of Nintendo and PlayStation hold a lot more weight in the cycle of getting us excited for cool new things. So, um, yeah, Chris, tell us a bit about um, what, exactly has been going on in the last uh, little while from the big companies yeah there's been a bit happening lately uh so last week was the playstation state of play which that's their sort of uh, equivalent of the nintendo direct which has been a very famous uh, digital presentation format that they've opted for in recent years um so the week before last was when Nintendo held their first major direct, which wasn't a focus specific to indies or third party uh, supports. Um, it was the first direct they've held in about 18 months, I think it was, which I think Nintendo didn't publicly let on, but I think they were a company that was quite heavily impacted by uh, the pandemic last year and had a fair bit of disruption to their normal way of working. So they've yeah, started off the year with a bang with a whole bunch of announcements and release dates for things to look forward to, um, Yeah, which includes uh, a lot of games, including some of the, uh, the big franchises making a return or uh, some more spin-offs. Uh, one thing that uh, I'm looking forward to, which I think I might be uh, a bit of a bit of an outlier here, but I'm very, very keen for the Mario Golf game. Uh, that's that's a game I uh, or a series of spin-offs that I grew up playing a fair bit um, in my younger years. So, when and was the last Mario Golf? Yeah, like, the last the last was Mario that on Golf. One of the handhelds. It was. It was. It probably wasn't as far away or long ago as we we perhaps think yeah. uh, because the 3ds did have a, a golf game although i um i'm trying to remember was that toadstool tour or it was had one of one of these yeah. you know toadstool or mushroom kingdom subtitles but yeah that was um i do consider the 3ds one to be a little bit of a a bare bones one because what what's excited me about the the one that's coming to switch in June I believe it is is that uh, there will be a story mode as well as you know your regular sort of arcade 
uh, game modes as well, um, which brings me back to the the days of the Mario sports games on the original Game Boy and the Game Boy Advance, where they were developed by Camelot, uh, a studio that's uh, known for RPGs, and they incorporated some of these RPG elements into the sports games, which for someone who likes RPGs and sports, I was in absolute heaven. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> I've just looked um, it up. Our Mario Golf World Tour is, in fact, seven years old. Um, wow. So, yeah, uh, it is, you know, it's a, a while between drinks. Before that, it was 10 years before that for Game Boy Advance was Mario Golf Advance Tour. So, yeah, it's um, it has been a little, you know, not as long in between since the last one, but seven years, that's a long time in the cycle of all things gaming. And, you know, the Switch, I think, is just proving itself to be such a great platform for you know all sorts of curl up on the couch experiences alongside playing it on the tv um you know because i see as well that yeah. you know toadstool tour was 2003 around that same time as advanced tour we've entered that era where they don't have to make two different games for two different kinds of play so um i i'm a bit of a sucker for a lot of the old um yeah uh golf games so yeah this might catch my eye too mm. Much more than uh, just golf uh, from the Nintendo Direct, there was a, a new fighter for uh, Smash Bros. Ultimate, which that's been an absolute sensation for the Switch. Uh, the characters Pyra and I uh, think Mithra uh, from the Xenoblade Chronicles series are coming to Smash. So I think probably the biggest story there is that there's only two or three more fighters coming to Smash Bros. And then that's it, unless Nintendo come around and say, Oh, but we're going to do some more. But they have been pretty forthright in saying that that's it. Um, and I'm just quickly running through some of the highlights from the yeah. Direct. Yeah. Um, Fall Guys is coming to Switch now, which is awesome uh, because that was absolutely lovely when it came to PS4 and PC last year. Uh, and I couldn't think of a better game to chill out with, play a few rounds uh, on the on the Switch than Fall Guys. So I'm looking yeah. forward to that. They're, they've you, also you... just had their big news today that Epic Games has just bought Mediatonic, the makers of Fall Guys. Um, so that's kind of a yeah huge overnight bit of news there. But um, and yeah, literally the kind of news where you're like, we yeah, I might have been chatting to some people about chatting to them again soon because we spoke to them just before they launched the game. Um, on the high res podcast and um yeah the you know uh, when when you have a major buyout like that it's like yeah we might need to delay that chat um because now we have to wait for permission from new bosses to <laughs> to see if they're still allowed to talk to people in the same way <laughs> yeah that's that's massive news especially i think it was last year uh, epic also bought psionics uh, the folks from rocket league yeah so they've they've got some big multiplayer properties uh, in their portfolio now. Well, uh, including one we'll discuss a little bit later in Fortnite. <laughs> yes. uh, so just, yeah. just a very, you know, small, uh, small, you know, team, you know, little uh, little known Battle Royale. Yeah. yeah, it may be the case that they've been able to buy all those other companies lately thanks to Fortnite. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, so some of the other... Uh, other notable games uh, coming to Switch uh, include Metopia, which is a very, um, a very camp and very quirky 3DS game that uh, used your personally created me characters in a little RPG adventure. 
Uh, one that's actually live now is there is Super Mario Brothers content in Animal Crossing, which uh, I've finally dived back in and de-weeded my island after several months uh, <laughs> to get the Mario content. And it's it's so adorable. The the little Mario outfits and the, the, the blocks, the warp pipes, mushrooms and coins that you can now order through the, the Nook shopping uh, app is uh, very, very cute, um, which... I mean, it's sort of a given with Animal Crossing is that anything in that game is utterly and endlessly adorable. So <laughs> it's it's very lovely to see that. And one of the, the big parts from the Nintendo Direct, which got people simultaneously excited and then somewhat divided afterwards, was um, uh, Eiji Aonuma, the uh, well-known producer from the Legend of Zelda series, made an appearance and, of course, people were hoping, oh, Breath of the Wild 2, Breath of the Wild 2, yes. Uh, but he very quickly said, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have anything more to share. Things are going okay. But in the meantime, here's uh, The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD for the Switch, which, hey, I'm thrilled, but I know that that was a particularly divisive title in the series uh, uh, sort of timeline uh is is that one that you had any experience with Seamus no I actually yeah I I never never really jumped on that one there's like there's not many I've I don't know if I've finished any Zelda games that's a big admission that is that's a yeah. <laughs> um but you know I do I they're the kinds of games like yeah I thoroughly enjoy them while I'm playing them and then I get distracted by something else and and then, you know, you get that time, water under the bridge where you think, oh, am I going to go back? <laughs> um, but I do find for me in these kinds of little, you know, HD remake type scenarios, it is a great opportunity to redis- you know, discover something for the first time or rediscover it or particularly with kids, that feeling of going, this was like a great story or it's, you know, a great game, but hard for for them to kind of go back to, you know, first versions of things and, you know, go, yeah. you have to sit there and play the original version of this because it's important. Um, much nicer to kind of go, here's a shiny new version of this cool old game. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And that's one of the big things about the Skyward Sword uh, HD release that I'm looking forward to is that one of the reasons the original on the Wii was so divisive was because it did lean very heavily the motion controls uh, it required the, the the nunchuck and the Wii remote to sort of uh, do a one-to-one recreation of Link's sword movements and that's that sort of right. thing right yeah which, I remember that now yep yeah which there was a, a bit of fuss when that first came out in fact I remember um, some some reviewers uh, didn't uh, didn't like that control format as many of the players didn't uh, which then created some very interesting and funny uh, response videos of people uh, mimicking actions using the Wii controller and finding that uh, it actually recreated the motion quite well in-game. So it was just (laughs) one of those things where, you know, if you're not a fan of motion controls, it wasn't going to convert non-believers into believers. But for those who did enjoy sort of the novelty of the motion, um, there uh, there was plenty of fun to be had. But the Switch version is going to include that as the Joy-Cons do have the motion control in addition to a revamped control system that you can choose from which completely gets rid of the motion stuff. So hopefully this will sort of be uh, an olive leaf, um, uh, sort of an olive branch offering to, to those who weren't a fan of the original release. Yeah. 
No, that's yeah, that sounds and right. Like in the end, you want to just—I don't know—that's my theory. You want to let people play stuff the way that they want to play it, like if you can. Um, you know, it's mm. almost that accessibility question alongside it, right? Like, okay, yeah, you've got cool yes. motion controls, but then please, if you provide another control scheme that someone else can actually enjoy using, then you create the opportunity for them to enjoy the story and all the kind of other elements that make this game exciting and and fun and not just kind of getting stuck at literally the doorway because uh, I just don't or can't use those controls. Yeah. Absolutely. I think accessibility is such a significant part of why this is such a good move because I I know people close to me who can't use motion controls for extended periods of time because it's it's too physically taxing or it causes um not to, not injury but it causes their their hands and their arms to hurt after you know not very long playing yeah. so a lot of those Wii era games were rather uh, inaccessible or provided extra barriers for people to be able to play them so any customization of options and controls is is a, a big win uh, in my books. Um, but yeah, the the last and arguably the biggest announcement from the Nintendo Direct was Splatoon, the very popular ink splatting family friendly shooter that's been on Wii U and Switch, uh, is getting a third game, Splatoon Three. So. There's a lot of uh, people who enjoy and follow those games, so that's got uh, a lot of Nintendo fans quite excited. Um, and there's a bunch of other indie games as well, and not to dismiss the indie games, but uh, uh, the bigger headlines are certainly pretty pretty big among the, the direct announcements. Yeah. Um, so State of Play then also happened last week, so that's kind of PlayStation's um, equivalent and actually yeah i think when we run down what stood out for you on that front i think it is probably worth having a little chat about whether you know in some ways i feel like is this format actually something that you know with another year of no e3 that it might sort of solidify the idea where they go why were we spending so much money on these single massive showcase events when we could just catch up with our fans directly on a regular basis and show them cool videos that still translate very nicely to getting news coverage along <laughs> along the way too. Um, but yeah, State of Play, what uh, what stood out last week? State of Play was very different to the Direct in terms of what it focused on. A lot of the State of Play was revealing new details about previously announced titles. So there was there was some interesting sentiment and online discussion uh, about the state of play in that some people were quite disappointed because there wasn't much new stuff uh, but then there were also some pretty cool details shown off about games such as uh, Crash Bandicoot 4 it's about time which was a game that came out last year and was a brilliant return to form for Crash Bandicoot uh, so that was on PS4 and uh, the Xbox 1 family of consoles um it's probably not worth going through all the xbox consoles uh, anymore just say the xbox family of consoles but <laughs> um now uh we've got full details about the next gen version including you know it's got the nice pretty 4k graphics 60 frames per second all those you know all the people who like the the hardcore uh performance indicators in their games yeah. uh, crash 4 is going to have that on ps5 and the xbox 
One uh, or Xbox Series X. See, I fall into that trap every time. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so, as did many people when they ordered the wrong one on Amazon. Indeed, indeed. But, yeah, so so Crash, uh, there were some more details about Knockout City, which was first announced during the Nintendo Direct. Of the of the new stuff, uh, there was a game, I, th- I believe it's pronounced Shifu, uh, but please, listeners, correct me on my pronunciation. <laughs> I'm very open to being wrong. Uh, is a game made by Slow Clap, the team behind uh, quite a good sort of, I feel like to call it a fighter game would be reductive, but Absolver, which was quite a, a well-regarded game, uh, Shifu is... A, a martial arts revenge story, and it looks very stylish. It looks sort of like a 3D graphical novel in its style, got these nice cell-shaded effects, this sort of hyper-realism that opts for, as I always like in games, opts for art direction over graphical fidelity. Uh, so stuff that looks cool as opposed to looks hyper or looks, you know, super, super realistic. Um, so it sort of looks like... Uh, in recent years, the West has enjoyed the the fruits of the John Wick series in in the movies, uh, whereas you know, a lot of that has been inspired by a lot of Eastern martial arts films and that sort of stuff uh, for decades. And Shifu looks like a manifestation of that. Uh, a lot of this uh, martial arts action that requires you know a super um, awareness of your environments around you using objects and facing several enemies at once so it looks like some real cool action hero movie stuff which i'm looking forward to but yeah so some more details on other games like uh, odd world uh, Soulstorm. uh the, actually the big news there is that for playstation plus subscribers who have a ps5 you'll be able to redeem that during its launch month at no extra cost which is very, very cool uh, for those who are subscribed. And Of course, um, also really annoying for all the people who are like, I, I wish I could get a PlayStation 5 to redeem my free <laughs> yes. game. It's almost like, and your penalty is that even once you eventually get one, you will have missed out on free games that you will then be required to pay for later. This this being said, Seamus, and this, this is one thing that I'm thankful for is that uh, so there have been a handful of PS5 games, including Bug Snacks, which I think was a launch title, which were available for PlayStation Plus subscribers at no extra cost uh, at launch. So I don't have a PS5. I but want one. So you but could I, I can't claim it. One. I could still oh, claim okay. it. Yes. Yep. Oh, yes. That's good. So yep. I could still claim it. So when Oddworld comes out, I'll definitely claim that for the inevitable. Could you claim it through your PS4 or did you have to go to the website to claim it? I did it through the app, uh, which is what I do oh, most yeah. of the time because whenever yeah, I remember to re- whenever I remember, uh, remember to redeem the monthly games, I'm always away from my console. So I just bring out the phone, do it on the app, and Bob's your uncle. Yeah, not going to lie. I've missed a few now and then, and it's precisely because I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got to go back to the console. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah I've got to get my apps installed and up to date. Yep. Yeah, I've <laughs> certainly done that. Um, another game that looks amazing, which uh, fortunately will be on PS4 as well, probably won't look quite as nice as the PS5 version, but Kena Bridge of Spirits is a 3D action adventure game, which looks amazing. Uh, more details on Arcane Studios' Deathloop, uh, which looks a real 60s spy-style thriller uh, where 
time loops every time you die. So that real Groundhog Day scenario. Yeah, I'm really excited for Deathloop. Looking forward to that a lot. It looks really good. Latest trailer, or I think there's been another trailer since the trailer that was shown last week. Yeah. Um, but uh, the one that was shown last week featured a really cool original soundtrack, which uh, really taps into those James Bond vibes, which I'm 100% here for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the biggest announcement from the PlayStation State of Play was the details around the Final Fantasy VII remake uh, coming to PS5. So that'll be a free upgrade for those who own it on PS4. But there will also be an additional episode that you can purchase uh, with brand new content featuring uh, Yuffie, who uh, is a character from Final Fantasy VII. But with how the remake was, you didn't play up to the point where you'd encounter her normally. So uh, that episode will add uh, new new combat, new new content, and some interesting sort of alternate uh, perspectives to the events that happened in in the remake which came out last year yeah and so yeah going back to that question i was sort of thinking about there do you feel like like is this just the format that we're kind of going to start to expect more and more because it just i just get the feeling that the companies are going to get a lot more comfortable yeah like clearly it's worked fine for nintendo for a long time they've not really turned Mm. up to trade shows quite a long time and they've happily been yeah running to their own cycle of announcements and they just you know they'll just announce a few days before like yep we got a direct coming up everybody stay tuned and then they just talk about stuff exactly the way they want to in a nicely packaged video format um and it's still a shared experience because they tell us exactly Mm. when it's dropping and then everyone can just enjoy that moment together online and still you know still have all those same kind of feelings of of the event um even though it's just a nicely packaged version that suits them perfectly without spending nearly as much money as having to put together a booth at a trade show and you also don't get a lot of those cringeworthy embarrassing moments on stage where you get these stiff yes. corporate people trying to be hip and relatable uh so yeah. uh because it is you know pre-packaged and pre-recorded, you know, they're able to make it nice and slick, keep the pacing moving along without uh, any of the uh, the on-stage gaffes that you can get when sometimes, you know, very, obviously very enthusiastic and very passionate people who perhaps don't have the the best stage presence uh, <laughs> uh, making announcements. Yeah. But I think you've you've answered a lot of your own question, I think, in terms of Nintendo has been a pioneer in this space for some years now, and PlayStation, or rather Sony and Microsoft, have followed suit with their own video presentations, but still have a lot of those physical events where they announce things at um, the events, or, well, not in the last 12 or 18 months, but prior to that. Uh, So I think, you know, it, it it makes logical sense for companies to continue doing this because it seems like a, a more efficient and cheaper way of doing things. You don't have to travel all over the place and set up uh, lots of uh, lots of physical props and stages and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I think I don't think the the format will be iterated too much on in the immediate future because it's it's a format that's working. It's a format that people resonate with and get excited about. And as you say, there's still that shared experience because they're announced ahead of time 
well, sometimes Nintendo do shadow drop things as Nintendo is wont to do. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, you still see plenty of excitement on social media, lots of YouTube and streams and podcasts discussing these digital events and that sort of thing. So they still foster a great sense of community, uh, which I think, you know, people have, have flocked to even more so since 2020. Um, look, we should move along. I, you know, I just wanted to touch on um, a lot of Microsoft stuff because obviously we, you know, and it's funny, we clearly haven't heard much um, on the Xbox front. They haven't held one of these events in 2021 or, you know, anything of that kind. Um, no doubt they will find ways to tell us about all the cool things coming to their stuff soon. Um, actually, one last thing to touch on with the game stuff and then we'll just very briefly touch on the Microsoft mm. Unite stuff, I think. But um, interesting that, you know, I think... Could you try again? Uh, no, Siri. Yeah, Siri just tried to help me with something and I apologise for having said her name in front of a podcast. Um, the Yeah, that PlayStation just announced that they are actually um, removing rentals and paid purchases of um, movies and TV shows from the PlayStation Store. And they basically said, yep, you know what? Everybody's just embracing streaming services. We're, we're just going to not worry about hmm. running a store like that anymore. Um, it's sort of, I find it interesting that, you know, Xbox was kind of that, you know, first one to really try to emphasize the idea of this is like your whole entertain, you know, your whole living room entertainment machine and has all that sort of stuff attached to it. Um, it just, yes, and obviously PlayStation has all that kind of Sony pedigree around it that means they have, you know, libraries of movies and TV shows and all that sort of stuff from the entertainment side of Sony um, that it does feel like an interesting moment from them to sort of say, you know what, in some ways what we're going to worry about most on the PlayStation is making cool games and yeah you can still you know you can you know you can download your netflix app and your stan app and you know just the apps can be there but us running a store that's about movies and tv screw it it's not worth it let's just make sure that this machine is actually going to be for the future really heavily emphasizing we're here for the games to, to be honest, had you ever actually bought or rented a movie from the PlayStation Store? No, that's it. I'm like, I think it's, you know, I think it's probably a a positive. And, you know, in yeah. a lot of ways you just think, well, there's a, you know, a kind of awkward department that they sort of had to manage because I'm sure there is a lot that needs to be, you know, put into running a storefront for all that kind of stuff. Yeah, because my thoughts are that, I've I've never purchased or rented any movies on the PlayStation Store or the Xbox platform for that matter. When I want to buy a movie or something like that, I'll go to the App Store or I'll go to the Google Play Store. So obviously someone was buying and renting movies at some stage through their consoles, but uh, yeah, it, it did strike me as a very odd sort of market to, to tap into, which obviously has been made somewhat obsolete with, uh, you know, streaming on demand. Um, yeah, interesting one. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so Microsoft and, you know, I think they still have stores and things like that. But anyway, yep, good for them. Um, what they're really worrying about at the moment is they just held their big Microsoft Ignite event and it's a very enterprise and sort of corporate technology-focused 
um, event for the most part. It's kind of really focused on their developer communities and, you know, the ways in which they're, you know, rolling out new versions and new updates to their technologies that then developers will be able to go away and build cool new things with um, and just generally kind of show off, you know, the promise of what's coming next from from uh, Microsoft across their platforms and also kind of hardware partners and things like that. And so um, the really big thing that sort of was a focus of the event um, overnight was Microsoft Mesh, uh, probably the biggest headline-grabbing uh, idea, and that's you know, bringing us into mixed reality technology that is actually kind of really underpinned by the Azure cloud computing platform. So... For a long time, there's been a lot of discussion around the fact that, you know, augmented reality glasses in particular, but, you know, even sort of some virtual reality tech and things, um, it requires a lot of processing power and you have to kind of build that into the headset if it's a headset-based thing, if you want it to be untethered, you know, or you'll need a good computer nearby and all those kinds of issues of managing a lot of the processing alongside, um, you know, the device itself. And I think this kind of step towards mesh is an idea that starts to try to emphasize the idea that the headsets can now start to kind of progressively get a bit smaller with the primary function being just a really good network connection into the cloud. And then Azure can do most of that sort of really heavy lifting of the processing of of what's happening. And also to create more environments where we can share that virtual reality experience or augmented reality experience remotely. So um, a big thing that they were sort of showing off with uh, Microsoft Mesh was using this to be able to have essentially like, you know, a holographic version of another person sharing um, virtual objects with you sort of within an environment. So, you know, being able to meet somebody virtually um, and look, you know, Literally, as those words come out of my mouth, I'm like, yeah, God, we've been doing that plenty for this last year. But it's about trying to, you know, make that a better experience and to be able to do things like, you know, we're working on a a 3D model of something, you know, and we want to both be able to look at it and point to things on that model and really sort of interact with that model together in a shared, um, you know, mixed reality space. Then that's the kind of thing where having a really good cloud compute platform that can do like the really heavy lifting on the models and the positioning of everybody and all that sort of stuff um, can then really help to smooth that process out. Because you think about the difference between, you know, having that model on, you know, one person's local computer and then, you know, the other person is kind of making a remote connection to your computer rather than to the cloud, you know, then you get all those kinds of issues that the upstream and downstream bandwidth kind of has to fight with um, to be able to share that sort of thing properly. So there's so many kind of interesting things attached to that. It's again, it's kind of quite, yeah, well, I was going to say it's very kind of businessy in a lot of respects because they're talking about meetings and stuff, but then they had Niantic involved with doing um, a really cool video demo of what, uh, Pokemon Go m- might look like through using you know a, a mixed reality interface. So not just you know right now where you can play Pokemon Go on your phone and then bring up the AR sort of system for you know catching a Pokemon through the camera, uh, but this is instead actually having an, the entire interface of the game built into that mixed reality setup. So that you know because you're wearing a headset, 
you're now, the whole world is already in an augmented reality mode. And then you're starting to kind of think about how you then bring up the menu into the world rather than, you know, you're, you're changing the interface on the screen that you're looking at. Um, it's really interesting kind of stuff. And yeah, there were a lot of other things that they talked about today as well. They talked about sort of big upgrades to Microsoft Teams, which I think has definitely been iterated on a lot over the past year. Um, you know, lots of efforts to sort of break that product out of just being, you know, another Zoom because, you know, Zoom sort of, you know, came out of the gate brilliantly last year, dominated the pure meeting space. And I think Microsoft focused on the idea that Teams is about being both a collaboration tool that happens to have that kind of meeting technology built into it as well. And then re-emphasizing what does it mean to kind of meet together within your productivity tool, um, you know, and having like gallery seating modes where you can have like, you know, it looks like the people at your meeting are actually sitting in rows of chairs rather than just being in a bunch of square boxes and, you know, all those kinds of things that I think they've started messing around with. We saw that a lot in, you know, NBA basketball. Microsoft Teams actually was one of the techs that they used for creating the kind of the crowd sitting, you know, environment on the screens, on the walls when no one was able to be there. So, you know, they partnered up for stuff like that to show off the potential of what they were doing. But um, yeah, lots of other kind of bits and pieces, but really the sexy stuff was the, you know, the augmented reality stuff, getting, you know, Niantic involved to kind of show that, you know, it's fun and not just for kind of businessy things. Uh, and then, yeah, sort of, again, continuing to evolve what Teams means um, in, you know, in 2021 and beyond as we get to not have to be separated from each other, that maybe there's, you know, parts of that that actually can be useful rather than just because we had to <laughs> yeah yeah i think the 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 microsoft mesh side of things you know with the you know the, the ar side of things it's it's as you say a lot of this stuff we are doing already uh with with zoom with microsoft teams and, and that sort of thing but i think the with the technology improving and hopefully one day becoming affordable for the uh, the average consumer is that you know, it'll sort of further reduce uh, those barriers of separation because it's not just uh, replicating on a 2D screen, you're replicating uh, seeing other people in a, in a 3D space, uh, which I think is is very, very cool. Yeah. Um, and I also saw one of the other use cases that was shown off in this fancy uh, reveal trailer that Microsoft put out was that there was um, a young woman who I who I assume uh, might have been an amputee uh, patient or, or something along those lines, uh, going through uh, physio exercises with uh, with a doctor. Um, and because of the, the 3D space and able to demonstrate specific exercises uh, better than, you know, you could sort of interpret on a screen, uh, that, you know, would help with, you know, rehabilitation and, uh, you know, for different types of medical practices to be able to occur more efficiently and more effectively over uh, over the internet, which I think is really cool. But uh, we we say all of this businessy and practical use case scenario stuff, and all I'm thinking of, oh, I can't wait for the year 2030, and my brother and I will be in diff two different locations wearing AR headsets trying to box each other. <laughs> uh, look, it's funny, yeah, because I did last year, and I talked about it on the show. Um, 
that I I did a demo session with um, one of the local uh, heads of HTC, and we um, you know, went into this sort of Vive meeting space type stuff. And it was it was something that beforehand I sort of thought, yeah, like what's what's it really add to go into a VR meeting space versus having been able to just you know very casually have a Zoom call or whatever it might be, and. Mm. The second you step into that kind of space, you do realize how different it is because suddenly you are like noticing each other's eyeline and you're noticing like the, those subtleties of being in a room together. You know, is the person looking at me? Mm. Are they looking over there somewhere? It's stuff that you don't even think about, you know, in sort of a 2D screen environment. But once you're in a shared space, you are noticing all those movements, you're noticing hand gestures because the person's holding controllers that are then reflecting the hand movements while they're talking. So those kinds of natural things that I'm doing right now below kind of, you know, the camera level that you can't see. Actually, if I was if we were in a VR space together, then you would be seeing me kind of gesticulating while I'm talking. Um, so there's like all these kind of little elements that I think will become more prominent, the more we're able to do it. And again, in that Vive situation, you know, I have, you know, sort of room scale VR in my living room. And so I had to sort of go and, you know, and, and there's an element of setup to that, you know, switching everything on, getting it all sort of ready, knowing that it's working, then going in. Whereas, um, you know, the, I've, I've, his name slipped my mind at the moment, but the, you know, the, the local head of HTC, he sort of said he's got one of the, um, you know, the standalone, HTC units on his desk. And so for him, that meeting was actually literally just reaching over and putting the headset on and that's it. He's now in that space, able to just instantly go to that meeting and that they as a team do that globally as a way to meet up sort of, you know, multiple times a week. So, you know, I think there's a positive element to see, you know, companies like this. I'm sure Microsoft's doing the same where they're starting to really dog food this stuff and look at, you know, what are the intricacies? What are the kind of friction points? How do they make it smoother and more comfortable um, so that it it becomes something that doesn't feel like, you know, you go, well, that was great and we did it twice and it was kind of a bother and so we never really bothered doing it anymore. Um, but instead make it into something that mm. feels genuinely valuable to use that mode of, of communication instead of, you know, something else. Yeah, it all sounds like cool stuff and it's it's the sort of thing that I think, okay, I'm looking at the video of this, I'm looking at the presentations, that looks great, hurry up and give it to me. Yeah, all right, that's what we need, we need it fast, bring it on. Um, Chris, let's do our wins and fails for the week so we can wrap this thing up. Um, I know I'm I'm right in your court with uh, with this week's. Actually, you know what? I'm going to do the fail first, and then we wrap up with the good one because fail is just annoying, and we don't want to finish on a total point of an annoyance. So I'm just going to quick shout out to how rubbish our government is. Oh wait, we've talked about that many times before. This week, the problem is the Online Safety Act, which they're desperately just trying to push through Parliament as rapidly as possible. So rapidly that after calling for public submissions on the discussion of the Online Safety Act, they already introduced the the legislation to Parliament before they were even making the submissions public. They had no interest in genuinely looking at what it was that the industry and the public had to say about this thing. 
They just have their version of what they want to do and they're leaning on all those classic platitudes of protecting the kids and protecting society from the worst possible... And it's like, but all those worst possible things are already illegal. Like there is nothing about those things that is not already against the law. And, you know, I absolutely applaud the cybercrime teams that actually do really hard work to do, you know, child protection online and all those sorts of things. That is horrible, horrible work. They're amazing, the efforts they go to. But this is about passing some laws that just give yet more kind of sweeping powers to just say, hey, big company, you have to remove this thing from the internet because we say so. Um, Along the grounds of sort of everything from, you know, cyberbullying and different kinds of stuff. And you're like, yep, this is all really important stuff, but... Just passing laws that gives the power to arbitrary decisions of parliament and, and like ministers and you know the e safety commissioner to just say you have to remove that because we've declared that that's a bad thing is it's just a terrible way to set up laws and it's something that actually the coalition used to be the party that stood against this stuff because it was against you know the freedoms of the individual and all that kind of stuff um, but you know here we are passing really rubbish laws way too quickly and yeah just ignoring any consultation process sucks yeah the the whole submissions scenario has been an absolute mess from what i've seen i'm not across the the minute details of the the legislation as it currently stands but yeah i have seen a fair bit of stink kicked up about the um yeah the I don't know if this is an explicit podcast or not, so I'm just going to keep it mild. But uh, yeah, the the, uh, the the storm that the the submissions process and the, the mishandling of that has been. So yeah, uh, yeah, not ideal. Yeah. Um, so let's finish up on something that's better. And you know, I guess on that last point, please go and look it up if this is something that interests you or concerns you. And get in touch with your members because it, it is something that is kind of happening right at this moment. And it's just not okay for things to be pushed through in the way that they're trying to push them through. So, you know, the more people that speak up, the better on that stuff. But nicer, funner stuff that is super Aussie. Take it away, Chris. I love how I, I oh, awkward up the accent there just to, yeah, just to because, yeah, because of what it is. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I can lean right into my Mount Gambier roots and uh, really, really regional the dialect up. Um, but so Fortnite, massive sensation. Mentioned it earlier in the show. Uh, we all know that Fortnite does wonderful cross promotions and has lots of skins and cosmetics, so you can dress up as famous characters and all sorts of wonderful fictional beings. Uh, and they also partner with content creators. Uh, so I'm not super well versed in the world of content creation as far as the bigger players uh, in the scene. But one Aussie, one Aussie content creator who goes by Laserbeam, uh, he's, he's quite a big deal. He's got just under 19 million subscribers on YouTube, over six billion YouTube uh, views. So yeah. Big stuff. Big <laughs> like that's stuff. big. That's a B. Yeah. That's, that's, that's that big. big. So he does a lot of creation around Fortnite and as part of the Fortnite icon series, they like to honour those who help build the Fortnite community and make it a fun place for everyone to be in. Uh, and other people have made sort of hyper-real uh, depictions of themselves and had that made into a skin uh, that you can purchase in-game and wear and proudly display your 
allegiance to a, a, a content creator, Laserbeam has decided, you know what? I don't think I want to, you know, make myself like a superhero or make myself look super sexy or whatever. I'm going to go back to my roots. Six years ago when I was working as a tradie, I'm going to have a skin that uh, as a tradie in a high-vis vest who emotes sitting down on an esky, chowing down on a meat pie with tomato sauce. Yeah. How bloody ripper. So good. And like, it's just so... Uh, so laser beam, I think. Uh, look, I even noticed actually on the skin because he actually has a tattoo on his arm that says code laser because yeah. um, that's his mm. creator code on Fortnite. If people put that in, he gets a percentage of the sales and stuff that the skin yeah. even has the code laser on the has arm. Has the tattoo. <laughs> um, and he- you They've know, gone to such wonderful detail. Yeah. And it's like he is such a great character. You know, he swears like a trooper. Uh, but he's the kind of guy that we've been quite comfortable letting our kids watch because he's sweary, but but he's not kind of blue in a you know a sense. He doesn't really sort of go down and dirty with his kind of humor. He's just a larrikin who swears and puts out fun meme type videos where he just acts up in the game, you know, tries to see if he can do kind of ridiculous things. He He's never played to try to be, you know, mm. the highest skill cap player in the world. And so we've had, you know, the skins of the ninjas and, um, but then we had, you know, Loser Fruit has already had a skin, another Australian creator. And yeah. again, hers super stylish, really cool in her kind of whole vibe. There's a recent one, one of the biggest creators who I think recently actually broke the record for the most concurrent streams, uh, Grefk. It's like Greg, but with an F after the E. Um, he uh, is from Spain and, yeah, he's kind of got this super cool skin that, like, yeah, has, like, lightning effects and kind of, you know, has really cool dynamic stuff going on. And it it just felt like such a, you know, a, a perfectly laser beam thing to go. Um, yeah, I just want to, like, uh, be a tradie because uh, it's kind of because I just think it's funny to have a tradie in in this game that's just spent yeah. the last like ten weeks adding more and more <laughs> of the all time greatest superheroes of all time to the game, um, and yeah. yeah, and then go yeah, my emote is and alien and Ripley, yeah, right, and like yeah, it's like, and like Street Fighter characters, um, with, you know Sarah Connor and the you know the T you know the Terminator robot and like there's so mm. much cool stuff like the, the predator just so much cool stuff has been added to I heard someone recently sort of say it's like yeah basically Fortnite is ready player one you know in in terms of its effort to just go we're just going to put every every pop culture reference possible into the sing into one game um and yeah he's like and now there's a tradie who can have a, a smoko on an esky um and he's uh the pickaxe that you get with his character is just a good old sledgehammer. Yeah, I think it's called yeah, old mate sledgy is its yeah, old official mate title. Yeah, pickaxe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and on on the note um, that you mentioned about laser beams type of content, uh, I haven't watched much of his stuff, but uh, anyone listening, I'd highly recommend. Go and watch the reveal video of him revealing and announcing the tradey skin because. Um, I haven't seen any other stuff, but that video alone has sold me as a fan of Laser Beam because he's just, he, he strikes me as really down to earth and really earnest um, in the way that he tells his story, introducing what 
eventually is, uh, you know, the, the work uniform of many Australians around the country. Uh, and he also soundtracked it using the song uh, Smoko by The Chats, which uh, might be familiar to those who listen to Triple J, a uh, very, very Aussie-sounding uh, song that's yeah. good for a laugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, look, yeah, I mean, one of the things we've actually really appreciated is he quite often does videos where he calls out like scammers and other kinds of dodgy YouTube channels that try to, you know, get clicks and views by pretending to be something that they're not. Um, And so, yeah, he's quite Mm. big on calling out that sort of stuff. And in a lot of respects, it's like actually really educational for, for, you know, younger teens and stuff who might be sort of, you know, getting taken in by stuff, you know, helping them improve their, awareness of you know dodgy crap that might be out there on on youtube and you know does it by making a giant joke about the whole thing so you know always entertaining um yeah and it just you know definitely hats off for both the recognition to him for the awesome entertainment that he's delivered via the medium of Fortnite. i you know I chatted with uh, the head of click management uh, now quite a long time ago um uh, you know, back in the days when we used to meet up in real person. Um, and, yeah, we talked a lot about that idea of it's like it's not, you know, people like Lannan, uh, so that's his real name, um, people like him, it's not that he's, you know, and um, it's not that it's about saying why would you watch somebody else play video games. It's like actually he is using the medium of a video game to basically perform comedy. <laughs> I mean, he's... You know, obviously had such an impact on on the games community, and he's been recognised and rewarded for that. And I I would argue that you know it's obviously done his brand a world of good, especially among us in Australia. But it seems like a real it's it's almost a very grassroots sort of thing he's done, saying, "Hey, you know, I want to recognise Australian culture." So. Here you go. Look, we're going to wrap it up there. Chris, thank you for your time. Tell the people where they can find you and your stuff online. Yeah, so Twitter's best for me, uh, at Bibbyboys. That's B-I-B-B-Y-B-H-O-Y. And most of my stuff at the moment is on Biteside.com. Woo, sounds like a good website if it's got most of your stuff. (laughs) Yeah, the editor's all right. (laughs) I don't know. Um. I am Seamus and you can find me at Seamus on Twitter is the main place I hang around. You can find all of our Biteside stuff at at Biteside there on Twitter as well. Or you can find us, we're, you know, testing out, just throwing random things in other random places. So you can find us in all sorts of places on Biteside or as at the Biteside on Instagram. Uh, And email us, ask at Biteside.com. Um, I think Biteside's DMs are open as well. So if you need to kind of just you want to tell us stuff there or email us, you can do all those sorts of things. But that's all for this week. Uh, If you have any thoughts on which games you're excited about in 2021, please let us know. Or if you you know what you would miss about the likes of the E3s of the world and things no longer existing, tell us. Tell us, dear listener. Tell us. And we will catch you again soon.